0: This is the Writer Who Reads podcast coming to you direct from New Orleans, Louisiana. Hi. Hello. This is Kate Austin, the writer who doesn't read enough.
1: And this is Trapper Kinchin, the writer who doesn't write enough.
0: And you are now experiencing episode
1: nine. <laughs>
0: Thank you. <laughs> there. Hello. All right. We'll save it for episode 10 because that's double digits. Okay? Okay. Okay, so this is part two of our rebirth theme.
1: Yes, and I can't wait to see who you've got. I've, I've asked you if I can see a picture of and your And I author. refused,
0: mm-hmm. because you're going to experience this fully for the first time through my mouth. <laughs> wow, I'm ready, I guess. <laughs> okay, yeah, sorry about that. Let's just, let's, let's go. So for today's episode, I chose Alan L. Hart. Ooh. Yeah, who is actually born female and named Alberta Lucille Hart.
1: So this is a trans man we're going to be discussing. This is a
0: trans man. And okay, I want to like lay this down right now. In my research, I came across like a lot of sources that were very like careful around the topic of okay. just pronouns. What? And they um, mm-hmm. would be like, okay, so until Alan transitioned, we're going to refer to him as her okay. she. But after that, it's he, him. And I was just like... I'm just gonna keep it even and refer to Alan as a he.
1: So he's he for us. He is
0: he 100% of the time because that is what he wanted to be. Okay. So just saying that now. Okay, okay so Alan L. Hart was born in October on the 4th in 1890 in Hall Summit, Kansas to Albert L. Hart and Edna Hart. When he was two years old, his father died of typhoid fever mm-hmm. and Alan and his mother moved to Lynn County, Oregon to help care for his sick grandmother. His mom married Bill Barton when he was five years old and they moved onto her grandfather's farm. Hart regarded this as a really happy time for him, um, mostly because he was free to take part in so-called male activities and play with toys not commonly assigned to girls, such as like wooden guns and okay. stuff. He presented as male from a very young age okay. and was referred to as a grandson in both of his grandparents' obituaries in the early twenties. So like his family was very supportive of how he presented and you know how he just wanted to be. Do we know anything about
1: like any evidence to, aside from the obituaries that like his mother? Was especially no okay. out of
0: everyone. It seemed like she might have been the one who had the most of an issue with it. She thought of it as silly, but she still let him exist as he wanted it to be. Well, that's what I was. Kind of, um,
1: this might be better suited for the discussion later. Than uh-huh. The next question So never mind.
0: No, just do it.
1: <laughs> I was going to say at, at the time, nineteen in the nineteen twenties. Twenties and stuff. Yeah, I'm like the concept of being transgender. I imagine it would be pretty foreign. So yeah. did they kind of view this as like?
0: Was it even a term?
1: Right. Or I'm thinking like he he was referred to as a grandson in the obituaries, but were they kind of like? Were humoring, humoring him? Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah.
0: I don't know. I don't know. Does like, it matter
1: as long as they were treating him with it respect? It seems
0: like they might not have minded as much. Okay. And I don't know. In my mind, like I know it's not the Wild West in the 20s, but maybe in Oregon on a farm, they're like, okay, what? What does it matter? Less
1: strident and like tough than yeah, if you were... Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: like We're living on a farm, and if you want to throw some hay around, that's cool, because we need that. I, I don't see. know. <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm assuming things. I don't know what this, what's going on inside of this family. But. Okay. So Hart wasn't forced to present as female until the family relocated to Albany, Oregon in 1902, um, where he had to present femininely in order to attend school. So... While he was there, he had to wear dresses and everything, but during school breaks and whenever he could, he would present his mail. While attending school, Hart wrote and published under various pseudonyms, including Robert Allen Bamford Jr., which I found really funny.
1: So why would you choose?
0: His father's name is Alan, yeah. but he's like, yeah, Robert Jr. <laughs> like, why'd you put why, Jr. there? Why'd you do the Jr., yeah. It's like, look, this is official. Okay. I'm a Jr. I don't Real. know. He also went by ALH, which is just his initials, okay. and a Heart, which is, you know, gender nonconforming. simple. <clears throat> They're all pretty masculine names, though. He was encouraged to write from a woman's perspective. Which, I don't really know what that means, but I would assume yes, would <laughs> at that time they <laughs> wanted him to write about domestic tasks and concerns that might stereotypically be associated with cisgendered women of the time. Okay. Hart then attended Albany College, which is now Lewis and Clark College, until he and his partner and classmate, Eva Cushman, transferred to Stanford University for one brief year.
1: Partner as in romantic?
0: Romantic partner. What was her name, Eva Kushner? Eva Cushman. Cushman, okay. Yes. Before returning and graduating from Albany College in 1912, so they were there. They left for one year and then they came back.
1: Man,
0: yeah, (laughs) they must have hated Stanford. (laughs) Hart then attended the University of Oregon, where he earned a medical degree in 1917.
1: As Albert or as Alberta?
0: As Alberta.
1: 19 What
0: year was this? 1917. Whoa! I know that's really
1: cool. Just to be, I mean, he's like Doctor Quinn, medicine.
0: Yeah, exactly. But after this, this is where things get a little bit difficult because Hart did receive that degree with the name Alberta on it. Oh, I
1: didn't think of but that.
0: But wanted to go out in the world and present as masculine. Right. So you can't say, my name is Alan, but here is my certification. I'm Alberta. You know? You think
1: that, well, <laughs> you think maybe you could have said like, oh, my name's Albert and they accidentally put an A on
0: it. <laughs> They'd be like, can you go get this fixed then? Because your degree oh my is, yeah. So I'm guessing Hart was forced to continue presenting femininely throughout his school career because his, you know, his name was Alberta on his degree. So that made it very difficult to use his male name in the future, given his credentials were tied to his female name. For some time, he presented as a woman and worked in Philadelphia at a Red Cross hospital. It wasn't for a long time at all. At 27, though, this is a big year for Hart, he met Dr. Joshua Allen Gilbert at the University of Oregon and requested a hysterectomy. He
1: was 23. Seven at the time. Twenty-seven.
0: Yeah, wow. yeah. So even though sex reassignment surgeries were being performed overseas, I know in Germany they had a, they've been doing a lot of like experimentation with it. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the first documented sex reassignment surgery in the United States. How old
1: was he? At the, I mean, I know he's twenty-seven. What year was that? Nineteen
0: seventeen. Still.
1: Still nineteen seventeen. Yeah. See, in it's my mind, year. I feel like in nineteen seventeen going under the knife for even something like today, hysterectomy is like coming in, blowing your nose, getting out. Yeah. And I'm like, anytime
0: you had to be cut. It was a big deal. Yes. And they made a big deal about it because there was nothing wrong with Hart's he body. He didn't have
1: any children. Yeah, they're
0: like, why, why would you even go under the knife? Even
1: today, mm-hmm. a doctor I think would have trouble doing like an elective hysterectomy on a person who's under 30 and doesn't have a child. Yeah, some doctors probably would say no. They would refuse, it. yeah. If, I mean, I'm sure it'd be different in a reassignment case today, but I'm yeah. like, you know, the idea that back then this was possible
0: blows yeah. my mind. Yeah. And I know that Hart had to kind of work to convince the doctor, I think. In, in my research, I came across it where oh, I this is uncomfortable, okay. but um he mentioned eugenics, which mm. yeah, he was just kind of like Apparently, society thinks that I am damaged in some way. Sterilize me so I don't create offspring.
1: So he kind of said, he kind of coerced the doctor, did reverse psychology
0: on the doctor. Yeah, I trainer. think so. I don't think his heart seemed very proud of himself throughout his life. So I think that that would be something that I would use if I was desperate to stop mm-hmm. menstruating when I, you know, I'm a man. Right. I don't want to menstruate anymore. Please take my uterus out. I'd I'd say whatever I needed to say.
1: So at 27, the doctor performed. Yeah, the, the hysterectomy.
0: So after the surgery, he legally changed his name. I don't know how that factored in with the medical degree, but maybe he had enough experience at that time. In 1918, following this huge transformation that had to feel like super freeing for him, he relocated to San Francisco, where he interned at a hospital where a former classmate Ended up recognizing him. Oh, goodness. And went to, like, the local paper because they were a jerk. Are you kidding? Yeah, and was like, this person is trans, and yeah, you're outed. Yeah, so the attention that he got was just overwhelming and terrible, and he eventually moved that same year in 1918. So, like, just imagine everything that happened. 1917, you graduate, you have your medical degree, you get a sex reassignment surgery, you start a new job in a different city, then he's moving again. So that was like a terrible couple of years. So he moved to Gardner, Oregon, after marrying his first wife, Inez Stark.
1: So okay, he was a player. Well, <laughs> huh. I'm gonna say like he was. Uh, I'm. I my mind. I'm having trouble wrapping my mind around all this because mm-hmm. I know how hard it is. in... To, like today, yeah, for a person to like say get a, their sex change on a driver's license, yes, you know what I mean, yes. So this is like huge, in like
0: 1918
1: or 19, whatever he
0: legally married, married Ines Stark. But it was because he had the hysterectomy that I think the government was like. Do you think
1: that after that, it was just kind of like he was able to say, oh, my name is Alan and I'm a man, and nobody was like, okay, take down your pants and let me.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And back
1: then, I don't think there was as much documentation. I'm really, this is incredible. I think
0: the fact that there wasn't a lot of documentation or, you know, people, the rules weren't set in stone or whatever, that this might have been a little bit easier. And I'm guessing there wasn't any form of hormone therapy going on. Not yet, no. I, I know at some point I don't know if it was experimentation but sometimes when they took out the the uterus they mm-hmm. would try and put like testosterone, like natural like donor testosterone in some form in their body Testes? yeah I sound really stupid right now <laughs> because I don't know like <laughs> some kind of like tissue okay. that they tried to put to like help encourage okay. like testosterone in the body but synthetic testosterone was not available at this time Okay, but we'll get to that later He seemed very proud of his professional achievements in transition, quoted in a local newspaper saying he was happier since I made the change than I ever have been in my life and I will continue this way as long as I live. I have never concealed anything regarding my change to men's clothing. I came home to show my friends that I am ashamed of nothing. And I found this really interesting because he was like, I'm not ashamed of anything. Yet he moved when he was outed again by another former classmate. So, but he just was very... Proud. Yeah,
1: he, he said, like, I'm wearing men's clothes. I've made this change. I'm very proud of... This the, is blowing my mind.
0: Yeah, but that I, I think it got overwhelming. Like, you know, the newspaper would catch a whiff of this. And, like, being a doctor is a very, like, personal uh, career. Like, you have a lot sure. of contact with the public. So I think people might have been, like, intrigued, interested, and kind of wary of him at the same time. I can't
1: get over that he was an out trans person like yeah he was talking about it
0: exactly hart then set up a private practice in huntley montana until the deflationary recession of 1920 and relocated to new mexico to work as a staff physician at the albuquerque sanatorium he went everywhere God literally and he's not even he's not even getting started this is the crazy part <laughs> and that's funny that you bring that up because in 1923 hart's wife left him Due to issues related to finances, the constant relocations, and ultimately, like, all the secrecy that surrounded them. I'm,
1: you know, this is a different conversation, maybe, but, I mean, like...
0: (laughs) You keep stopping and be like, okay, hold on, 19 what? I do, I can't handle
1: it. This is incredible to me. Uh So his wife, I'm wondering the process through which... She came to terms with marrying someone who was born female, you know, and transitioned into male. And I'm, I'm guessing at the time, the transition was, I mean, it was much more rudimentary. Obviously, they mm-hmm. were able to take out yeah. the female sex organs, but you know what I mean? The, the transition yeah. was not as full as in two thousand. Uh, yeah,
0: she loved him. Like she, she put must up with the constant moving, the yes. newspapers, and everything. But finally, it got to her. Uh, So they divorced in 1925, and then Hart married Edna Ruddick in
1: 1925. (laughs) Same
0: year. He was a doctor. You know, people love doctors. (laughs) So it's a good thing that Inez did leave, because Hart bounced around a lot after this point. In 1925... He went to the Trudeau School of Tuberculosis in New York. He worked as a clinician at the Rockford Sanatorium in Illinois for two years. Then in 1928, he obtained a master's degree in radiology from the University of Pennsylvania. In 1929, he took a role as director of radiology at Tacoma General Hospital in Washington State. In the 30s and 40s, Hart and his wife lived and worked in Idaho and Washington State. And then he later served as a medical advisor at the Army Recruiting and Induction Headquarters in Seattle during World War II. So literally just zigzagging around the country, doing incredible medical work. Oh my goodness. At the same time being a novelist, which I'm going to get to because this is the Writer say, who podcast. This is not a writer, this is just a very interesting person. <laughs> yeah, like how do you have time to be a writer? As a doctor, I'm as right. a doctor, like in just like one that continues learning, like you have your medical degree. Oh, now I'm going to go get radiology degree. Mm. Yeah. So by 1948, Hart and his wife Edna were living in Connecticut. That year he received a master's degree, another one <clears throat> in public health at Yale and was appointed director of hospitalization and rehabilitation for the Connecticut State Tuberculosis Commission. When World War II ended, synthetic testosterone became available, and Hart underwent treatment. Finally, able to grow facial hair and shave, and have a deeper voice, which helped with his overall self-confidence, he wanted to sure. do more like lectures and talks. Um, so that was big for him. He had an incredible medical career and was respected for his excellent tuberculosis research which was really prevalent at the time with tuberculosis being the leading killer in America in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. It was interesting because he like merged his radiology experience mm-hmm. with his knowledge of tuberculosis and actually helped, I don't know if it was just him, but he was a major part of early detection of tuberculosis okay. through x-rays, which was like new technology then. Uh-huh. So yeah, that was, that was one of the biggest things he did. Somehow at the same time, Hart found time to write fiction In his early years, he wrote many short stories, which were mostly published in school newspapers. Later, he wrote four fiction novels, which were somewhat semi-autobiographical and often dealt with medical themes and topics. Hart and his wife lived in West Hartford, Connecticut for the rest of their lives, finally settling down. Hart died in 1962 and, as instructed in his will, had private letters and photographs destroyed. And after he died, I think his wife lived until the 80s and she refused to give any interviews about him or anything. So, I think he had a very clear idea of how he wanted to be remembered mm-hmm. and he like wanted that to be protected. Because I feel like, you know, for someone who lived this like crazy life and was the first yeah. person to have the sex reassignment surgery and everything in the United States, he didn't want people to meddle in his journey which is very interesting.
1: I can't, I've never heard of this person. And it's Me either. Interest, I, can't, I don't know why I haven't. No, but Maybe. yeah,
0: that's a really great story. And he's very accomplished. So I thought that with a theme of rebirth, this would be incredible.
1: Well, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, a physical transition like that, I mean, come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> total renewal.
0: And not only physical, but it takes a lot of mental strength
1: to get, like, you know, we talked about it in a, another episode, self-acceptance, self-love, mm-hmm. the internal journey, climbing the mountain. Yeah. That's one of the big ones.
0: Well, and then also in a very public way, constantly turning around and being recognized and outed as if you've done something wrong. <sighs> but having to, like, battle through that and, like, go inside. And the fact that he was kind
1: of verbal about it all. hmm Yeah, it's like, I'm
0: not ashamed of anything. Yeah. But also this attention is unneeded. So yeah, I have a little story that he wrote. Um, It's a little short story uh, that kind of, if it is semi-autobiographical, I think it relates back to his time where he was really happy on the farm with his family in Oregon. So yeah, I'm gonna get into that. An Idol of a Country Childhood by Alan L. Hart the joys of country breeding are not to be expressed by the city-bred who write learnedly about them such delights can be valued aright only by those who saw the orchard in bloom and the fields in new green with all the keen delight of the unconscious child lover of nature what are the sophistications and sights of the town compared to the things a country girl can feel and see when you were a child in the country the dreams of the city the fame and riches to be yours the brilliance and beauty to surround you and your own great and marvelous deeds were the visions that lured you on, that alone sustained you through the homely commonplace duties of the farm. But are not the old days equally attractive for you now, the days when you gave never a thought to clothes or appearance, when your face was dirty and your hands indescribable, when your scanty hair was tied back with a string because a ribbon was in the way, and when, with much faith and a bent pin, you went a fishing in the barnyard slough, which had never been known to contain a fish? Perhaps you were called a tomboy. Probably you deserve the name. You liked to ride the horses at a wild gallop over the big pasture. You were entranced when grandfather made you a little wooden gun and began straightway in the backyard to enact the civil war and other dreadful scenes of carnage. You passed whole hours of delight in the tool room, making all sorts of things that never would go. You crouched for whole forenoons at a time under the trees in the prune orchid while the hired men dug out the grubs. You made an occasional small fishing trip and carried your wriggling, slimy bait all the way into your stocking. You saved up all your money for a long time, raised a pig by your own endeavors, and with your purchase price and your little hoard, you went to town and bought a red express wagon, a package of nice long slate pencils, a pencil box, and finally a blue soldier's cap. To be sure, your mother made you wear a hood in winter, but you set the military cap on top, and the effect was splendid. When you are strictly honest, don't you wish you hadn't grown up and come to the day when you must look in the glass to see if your nose shines, and, if it does, powder it accordingly? Don't you somehow yearn for the spring-heeled shoes that never hurt the little toe on your left foot, and the rubber boots that afforded an excuse for many a trip through the slough, and all the mud puddles an active child could find? Don't you look back with something of longing at the busy days of summer when all the outdoors called you so loud to come out and play? and your mother called equally loud from the back door for you to come and clean up the mess you had made with your tools and shavings on the washroom floor. And isn't it the shameful truth that you can now recall without a blush the tremendous aversion you had at the mature age of 10 to the bathtub and how your mother always had to corral you by force every Saturday evening and to scrub your ears into a similitude of cleanliness for Sunday? Do you not vividly recall how you dreaded your weekly dose of the Westminster Shorter Catechism administered every Sunday afternoon by your grandfather while you stood beside the living room stove with your hands clasped behind you, vainly endeavoring to recall the chief end of man? Summer always found you wildly impatient of school, already playing hooky occasionally and utterly defying propriety by playing black man with the boys." Your present friends would hardly recognize in the fairly well-groomed and mannered young woman who was so versatile, the somewhat obstreperous, the slim, half-bald, green-eyed imp who terrorized the timid, modest little school ma'am by climbing the highboard fence and clutching the throat of the impudent lad who had dared to invade the precinct sacred to the play store of the little girls until the unfortunate youth was blue around the mouth and perfectly ready to withdraw and remain forever in his own side of the yard. The spring fever had done its deadly work, and you could no more obey rules and study quietly than you could sit down calmly and learn to embroider. You sneered at the mild games of the girls. You scorned playing house and were altogether superior to dolls. So you looked around for new fields to conquer. These new fields were likely to be anything from amateur dramatics in the horsesheds behind the schoolhouse to dressing up in boys' clothes and scandalizing the whole neighborhood. So that was An Idol of a Country Childhood by Alan L. Hart.
1: It sounded very idyllic. Oh, really? It did. It
0: sounded very mischievous to me.
1: I kept envisioning movie and TV versions of Anne of Green Gables. That kind of geographic setting. You I know? feel like you
0: said, maybe. I've never seen it. I know there's a new like remake on, on Netflix right now. Oh, okay. But I... I <laughs> You make these connections, and I'm just like, okay, TV in the '80s, <laughs> whatever it was. Man, it's all right, okay. But anyway, Bird. I I just want to say first of all, before anything else, I know that we have a lot. This like is obviously not just semi autobiographical. This is There's no his way. life as yeah. a child, but the reason I chose this is because of the second person point of view, <laughs> which is uncommon, but I love it. So much. And I love it so much even more than I normally do because second person is so great at putting you in the shoes. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the writer is confronting you as the reader and being like, I'm assigning you to this personality and to this life and we're going to walk through it. And I love it. I love it that this is a trans man being like, this is what your childhood was when everybody else was trying to coerce you into being this specific gender.
1: He's definitely you feel like talking to the little girl he was, mm-hmm. the kid he was.
0: See, to you think he's talking to his like former self. 100%. I think he's trying to get his audience to understand him. Okay.
1: Well, for me it was definitely like, I don't know, like all of us do when you I you know, you look back at the ideal version of your childhood mm-hmm. and he's talking to that little girl and in the same way he's Thrusting the reader into it,
0: mm-hmm. I
1: didn't get. I but it. But the the tone that I got was nostalgic.
0: It all sounded very great. Like he was proud that he yeah. was this mischievous child because right. it wasn't just him being like, yeah, I like to play outside, and I didn't want to powder my nose, mm-hmm. and I, I never would will have to because I knew that that's not what I wanted to do. But also, it's like, I was a bad kid. That's what. It, that's exactly <laughs> right. It
1: was kind of like, you rascal. Yeah. But you know what's so interesting is he doesn't say he. Or no, he doesn't say little boy. He's always like, you were the little girl that, or you were the girl that. He says it. Let me. He let, identifies the U.S. female.
0: I, I, I saw him like associate that a few times. Mm-hmm. But also, I swear that he. The little
1: girl who didn't want to. like. I mean, he says it.
0: You were the child in the country. Mm-hmm. No no I think it was like more than once it was fights And I do want to say that this was And it was like the first half of this story The rest of it kind of fades into him Just talking about experiences Like with his grandpa And okay. like doing yard work and stuff But that went on a little bit long So we cut it off <laughs> <laughs> But yeah yeah he does He does refer to like Your present friends would hardly recognize In the fairly well groomed and mannered young woman Who is so versatile mm-hmm. So Maybe this is the time in his life where he was in school, maybe medical school, okay. and he was, like, a well-groomed and mannered young woman, mm-hmm. but he's like, look, I have this past, and this is who yeah. I am. I don't know. This is a lot of speculation. I don't, I don't know. Well, and,
1: and also, I mean, I mean I even, even if he hadn't said, like, you're the well-groomed young woman today. hmm Everything about the way he's painting the the nostalgic reflection into the past, I and mean, mm-hmm. he's talking about tying one's hair back. He's talking about not wanting to embroider. Mm-hmm. He's talking about a little girl. Yeah. And um, what I think is so interesting is he's obviously a man, mm-hmm. glad to be one. Yeah. But he doesn't seem totally removed from his girlhood, and yeah. that he's not ashamed or trying to repress it or saying, you know, oh. But his girlhood was was masculine in nature,
0: which is very interesting. And it, it, I'm sorry, it begs the argument of of him being like this from birth, which Uh, is mm -hmm. something that a lot of people like to rally against. It's like, oh, you're not born that way. Well, Well, and you know,
1: uh, I think the family's acceptance, the fact that he was not... It wasn't like, okay, we need to talk... About, I, mean, I don't know what went on, but it seems as though there was a level of No, because you hear
0: in a lot of families just huge fights and yes. forcing you to wear a dress. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he tied his hair up with string because mm-hmm. ribbons were cumbersome. You know, right. it's he was allowed to do these things as a child. So maybe
1: he doesn't look back at his childhood as living in all... like a. An alternate life because mm-hmm. he never lived an alternate life
0: yeah that would make sense
1: you know at least i mean I'm, he did have to do some stuff in college to present and stuff but
0: yeah
1: it sounds to me like because i you know i don't know a lot about i've never been a trans person
0: mm-hmm.
1: um I, I don't have any close trans friends so yeah. i can't say like oh well i mean but um from what i understand if you feel you're in the wrong body as a child yeah i can imagine it would be easy to want to push that part of your life out of your mind or to kind of separate yourself from it and he's not really doing that here which
0: and i found it a little odd because you know he he did take care i think he wrote his will in like 1943 Mm -hmm. and he died in 1962 so he he made sure in his will to say burn all my personal letters Mm -hmm. burn these photographs i mean i think there was one picture of him as a child and in a dress okay but i i wonder if you know okay he's not ashamed of his past at all but why did he take such care to erase a lot of it
1: you know the beauty of fiction is you can do anything Mm -hmm. he chose to say the young woman tying your hair he was almost verbatim he wanted to remember this the way it happened I mean it's obviously a nostalgic version of what happened. yeah yeah but if you're wanting to talk about your childhood and make it better than it was and you felt like you weren't you know but he's he's keeping it Real on a level. It's
0: very honest. Yeah, honest. That's yeah, and I like the the little the building of just little examples. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yes, I tied my hair up and I refuse. I, I like boys are, are like notoriously messy, and right. his mom used to have to force him to take baths. Like that is a traditionally masculine yeah. thing. So
1: playing with the boys, not the girls. Exactly that kind of thing. I think what reminded me in his story of like I said, Anne of Green Gables. Yes, please tell me there's such a level of innocence but not just innocence but like powerful connection to Uh geography and to space and and it's wholesome it's the same kind of vibe you get with the Laura Ingalls Wilder books
0: yeah you're right
1: it's a wild childhood
0: I love that, I love the fact that I don't know, it's almost, tra- being trans is almost a taboo subject, mm-hmm. and and he's bringing this, like, I had this innocent childhood that was fun and rambunctious, yes. and this is my story, and it's innocent. I like that, I like that a lot. Yeah,
1: there's not a, it's not a story about somebody, I mean, he's obviously pointing out that as a kid, I was different, I earned the name, the nickname Tomboy and all this, but he's not saying... He's basically laying it out as, I was a kid. Mm -hmm. It was so much fun to be a kid. Yeah,
0: yeah. You
1: know, and I love that. Sometimes for me, when I look back, I mean, there's a period of my childhood where I'm like, yes, it was ideal. And I could totally paint a vivid, Mm -hmm. happy picture of it. But you get to a point where you're like, okay, remember whenever everything started? Yeah, remember when that bully pushed
0: me? Like, I I don't want to remember being a
1: kid anymore. This is really awesome and, and and that's why it reminded me of, of Anne of Green Gables because there's there's a purity that flows forth from the phrasing and gets into the back of your head and pushes forward everything good about your own childhood to the fore and so what you're saying are like these fast light flickering I was green and blue images
0: yeah he has these very long if you read it there are these very long sentences mm-hmm. where he crams a lot in there's like a lot of M dashes in there where okay. you know he's just layering and layering and each one is like this complete rich sentence full of one instance mm-hmm. and then right on the heels of that you have another one so it's just bringing them out and stacking them on top of each other like you were saying yeah. and it just it gives you this impression of just this richness yeah. yet in the simple it has to be a small town uh, that he was living in it's like he still found happiness. I do want to say, though, that there's a little bit of, I don't know, an undertone. Maybe this is just me imposing this on it because I don't think anything changed in the language. But then he was like, oh, your current prince now wouldn't see this in this young woman. And you're going from being like, oh, I was born this way and I, you know, very masculine okay. and I loved all of this. And now I'm this.
1: I can see which that.
0: Which is not true it my true nature. But, you know, you never would have guessed. And it's almost like, like, ha. I can that. see
1: what you're saying with that. For me, I I heard it and interpreted that as we all grow up. Mm-hmm. And even if we're still the little rambunctious kid on the inside, we have to Yeah. we have to function.
0: But as we know that like shuts down like crumbles apart later and, oh, and sure. he's like I'm going to live my true sure. life. I'm going to be reborn and get this hysterectomy. And that's
1: where the semi autobiographical has to come in with this because mm-hmm. he's writing this. Mhm. And when it was published or when it was first put out there, people probably would not have known his story the way we do. And so they would have... And he would have had to bear that in mind. Yeah. So... Um,
0: the story wasn't complete even at this time. Right. And yeah.
1: I mean, authorial intent's not important. But I'm thinking just if we didn't know the backstory, it would be a very interesting story about a woman who had a very raucous and invigorating childhood. Yeah. And now she's like... And now... I think that child lives within me, but I am a very prim person now. Yeah, and nobody would believe. Look, look she was where wild. I've been, yeah, but beyond that, I think you're right. I think there's probably a level of I was once really myself, and now I'm having to.
0: You you would never judge it. Yeah. And yeah, I think I see the sadness in that statement because of that. But if I there read this sad. and I hadn't known anything about him and his story it would be this really fun read where I was like, oh, this is a trans man. <laughs> and then I'd be like, oh, wait, no. He's saying that he is this uh, well-groomed woman now. Right. You know, which is, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it if I hadn't known about and it.
1: May, and, you know, maybe if we hadn't known about the backstory, it still would be sad because you're, I think it tells a little bit. He's talking a little bit about how part of you fades into the background when you as you age. Mm-hmm. And it's because when you're a child you're un- uninhibited. Yeah. And nothing's expected of you. It's
0: interesting though, because, you know, when you're a boy child you're uninhibited. Okay. But they, he made being a girl child <laughs> yeah. sound very aggressive, Yeah. yeah so there's that. that there's that balance going on there. Just the mm-hmm. idea of having to check and see if my nose is shiny, to powder it a little mm-hmm. bit. Like that sounds ugh. I mean I I check if my nose is shiny, but it would be great if I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't check.
1: I um, we have so many conversations in this day and age about not just gender but gender roles and, and sexuality and these are very you know prescient topics. Mm-hmm. So it, this is a great story when we're talking about how do you make your child feel comfortable expressing herself. Mm-hmm without imposing your idea of what it means to be a yes. girl
0: yes and it starts early it's like it, when you tell someone yeah. you're having a girl you get a slew of just pink crap you know i
1: i have i'm gonna really you shared some personal stuff on our podcast, oh yes definitely yeah and i have something it I, is your turn yeah i guess it's my <laughs> turn i have many 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 memories uh-huh. of, of when i was a kid like certain things that we kind of correlate to I guess the way he felt when he got older um, like I remember I, I couldn't have been maybe 4 yeah I was little and I don't know where I was but my grandmother took it was like a toy store maybe it was like a cracker barrel I don't know it was like some place that had toys or whatever mm-hmm. and I picked up a teddy bear and it had on like a gingham dress and a bow uh-huh. on its ear and I remember being drawn to that teddy bear for the sheer fact that it had a bone in its ear and wore a gingham dress. Yeah. You know what I mean? It yeah. was colorful and it was cool. She bought it for me. But before we got home, she made sure to take off the gingham dress in the bow.
0: Which is why I
1: wanted the bear. Yeah, of
0: course. So, like,
1: I remember that. And, like, there are little things.
0: And you internalize that as a child. Every
1: time. Yeah. And so you get to be an adult and you don't realize how much scar tissue is layered Mm. over your personality because of little stuff like that and I can name a million different instances and I'm like what harm was there in giving the four year old the, the bear in the gingham dress
0: exactly yeah
1: and I mean you know my grandmother was a very Easy to talk to person and very you know, so it wasn't like she was mean spirited about it. I she remember, didn't
0: like slap you in the face. No, if put that back. she bought the bear
1: and I remember her saying, "We're taking the dress off so Grandpa doesn't get upset." And I remember thinking, uh, like, "Why would Grandpa be upset?" Yeah, but it was just you know, men
0: and masculinity, right? Yeah.
1: So whenever we're reading this stuff, I'm like, I understand. Yeah. How early your innocence gets chipped away? Your
0: natural state of yeah. being can be robbed of you at a young age
1: something as simple as being drawn to something because it's visually striking or because it's tactile like it feels nice in your hand but oh it's the wrong color or oh it's shaped the wrong way for you and it's it's always
0: like when did we establish what is the right color Mm. i mean traditionally pink used to be for reserved for boys and then it switched over to girls so, like how how nonsensical is it that certain things are reserved for certain sexes. I just Yeah. I don't get it.
1: So yeah. was I mean, a good
0: example.
1: Thank you. I'm just it made me think of that because who knows? I mean, who knows how different any of us would be mm-hmm. if we were allowed to say, That's what I like. Yeah. And nobody was if there was nobody to say, uh or, um, wait, hold on, or wrong.
0: Or not even to say anything verbally. Exactly. Just to take the dress off. Right. You know? That, it,
1: would, that was in and of itself
0: enough to make yeah. you probably feel a little bit ashamed. Absolutely. Freaking lately. Yeah, yeah. You
1: know, and like I say, you just you go back through the catalog in your mind of things of when you were a kid, and you're like, this happened, this happened, this happened. Yeah. And my goodness, now I'm an adult. And I'm buried under, like you said the word is shame, mm-hmm. which the acronym for shame is self-hatred at my expense. Uh,
0: you know? Yeah. And
1: so that your take, you, we are forced to shoulder other people's Uneasy feelings.
0: Mm, yes, you were so right. Yeah, and
1: I, as we get to be adults, you know, you and I are both sitting here in our mid twenties, uh-huh. and it's like, I know, forget it. And it's, but it's a hard process.
0: It's a personal one, and it's one that you have to consciously take and unfold mm. and and find pride That's right. in.
1: Peel back the layers and get back to your authentic self, the authentic self that was an infant or uh-huh. whatever it was, that yeah. real personality. And kind of say, I'm going to be comfortable with that. And yeah, I, we both are probably still well into the process. Oh, I'm
0: still working on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it's a process of rebirth. Mm-hmm. So, it makes so much sense. Yeah. We're both sitting here at 26 that at 27, Alan L. Hart mm-hmm. was like, I'm ready for the surgery.
1: In a time when I imagine it was unthinkable for an American woman, quote, yeah, unquote, quote unquote, to yeah. say, I'm 27, I want a hysterectomy. Exactly.
0: in like the first one the first one Mm -hmm. in the United States of America incredible like to be so sure of who you are you know to be like I'm gonna take this major step
1: I really I think we both the author I chose for Rebirth and the author you chose for Rebirth is such an awesome duality she had an incredible incredible internal transformation yes and alan had an incredible
0: external physiological yeah yeah
1: but they're but like i'll keep wanting to say they both had to climb the mountain they both had to walk the path Mm -hmm. and it was not not easy for either of them exactly but when they got to where they needed to get it was worth the journey
0: absolutely yeah
1: that's and that's a lesson for everybody because
0: they both had incredible careers yeah i mean she just moved to a completely different Mm -hmm. country And worked in extreme conditions for a long time. And he had this incredible medical (laughs) career. Yes. And they're both writing at the same time, Mm -hmm. just being their genuine selves. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't always easy, but they they got to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, these were good choices. I didn't
1: know where we were going to go with our rebirth I wanted to
0: cry. If I didn't have, like, a bottle of wine, I think I would have (laughs) been. like, This is a bad idea. Who chose this (laughs) theme? Oh. But yeah, this was good. I'm proud My of nose. both of us. Thank you for inter- introducing
1: me to Dr. Alan L. Hart. Of
0: course, yeah. I can't believe we haven't heard of him. Uh, just for the fact alone that he's been, he was the first one to have sexual absolutely. reassignment surgery.
1: We've had a couple of people that we've done so far uh-huh. where one or both of us has said, like, why haven't we been told about this? A Jesse Fawcett.
0: Yes. Like, I was just like, why? How? It's just. Unreal. Yeah,
1: that's the fun for me of all this. Mm -hmm. Is I get excited when I get to do research on somebody and get to read a new short story or novel. But I really get excited when you tell me about somebody. Really? That's (laughs) when I really get excited. Yeah, I
0: definitely would have never heard of Hannah Bernard. (laughs) (laughs) Bernard.
1: No, you're right. Yeah. So it's. It's great. We're we're enlightening each other. Hopefully we're enlightening the people that are
0: listening. Yeah.
1: Thank you for listening.
0: Please keep listening. We love us. you. And Talk I, to us, please. <laughs> give
1: us reviews. We need feedback. We need
0: to know that you're live and yes. there. <laughs> you know
1: what would be great huh? is if our darling listeners would suggest themes for us.
0: Oh, that would be fun. Or even like authors.
1: Authors, themes. Give us somebody we can delve into. Because, you know, this is interactive.
0: Definitely, yeah. And it's hard because our goal is to find um, writers who we haven't heard of. Exactly. So you sit down and start doing research and you're like, what am I looking for? Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's literally Googling. (laughs) For me, it was like, stories about rebirth. And then when that was just bringing me to like reincarnation incantations on YouTube. <laughs> I was like, okay, how about this? That's like different podcasts. Yeah. So I was just <laughs> <Our cold podcast. laughs> So it is hard and it would be great if people were like, Hey, did you ever hear of so and so? Yeah. Because then we could say, you know, I haven't, but I'd like to It would be
0: great if people were like, hey in general, uh, <laughs> yeah. Dot dot dot. Tell us hi. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, make sure you follow us on Instagram. Yes. Um, writer who reads is the handle. Mm-mm-mm. And um, yeah, just just keep listening because we're gonna try and do more.
1: Let us know. Let us know. Let us know.
0: <laughs> okay. I guess none of us, neither of us, have sang this episode, so one of us had to. <sighs>
1: It was turned off
0: of me. I know it was. It was terrible. I'm joking. <laughs> I'll sing next time. Don't worry. Okay. You've got two in a row. But anyway, next episode is going to be big. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's our first double digit episode, episode 10. So you're going to want to see that. Brushes on. And by
1: I see that, she means you want to listen in.
0: You know what? If you don't leave me alone. <laughs> Okay, so this has been the ninth episode of the Writer Who Reads podcast. I'm your host, Kate Austin. I'm Trapper Kinchin. And thanks for joining us as we try to read a little more. Write a little better. And and explore explore the the human human condition condition together. together. (laughs) There <laughs>